Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice and impact. Welcome back, everybody. Now we're going to be chatting to Hannah Denobriga, economist and quantitative analyst at Prescient Investment Management. And she's going to be talking to us about the economic implications of the State of the Nation Address, which is later today, in fact, at seven o'clock. Hannah, what are you expecting from Sona tonight, apart from the usual OTT outfits we often see parading outside Parliament buildings? Do you want to just give us a little bit of background in terms of Cyril Ramaphosa? and what he's done at previous sonas, and whether anything that he said at previous sonas has been meaningful or implemented, or are we just going to see sort of the usual giving us the background on, on the economics and maybe making some uh, some promises? And really, what we really should be looking towards is the budget, which is coming in a couple of weeks. Thank you for your question, Dawn. If we take a look at the previous sonas and what Sir Ramaphosa has said in his policy briefs, we see that there are key themes within his policy. And some of these themes are highlighted as electricity, broadband and network scope broadening, water, um, supply chain and um, infrastructure, and then also migration. So we so he wants to ease um, the regulatory framework for skilled migration to occur. Maybe the biggest themes or top of list themes would be our supply chain and the electricity problems. We can see that from um, our previous sona, the role of independent power producers has definitely increased as of recent. Wheeling has been uh, implemented across the board we have a lot of um, private investment coming into the country, especially with solar and wind power. However, the legal separation of ESCOM into entities of generation uh, hasn't been fully realized yet. So we have a lot of uh, positive regulation that's already occurred and, that, and a lot of work that's been done there. And we can see um, it, is, it is continuing to be done. There's a lot of push for, uh, for private investment. Um, but the legal separation and improvement of energy availability um, is yet to be addressed. And we'll see if Ramaphosa manages to address that in the, in the next sonar um, and also in his term going forward if he gets re-elected. Um, to then also just move on to um, the infrastructure and supply chains, uh, we've seen some progress on uh, Transnet and uh, with the Ports Authority. There were a lot of problems with Transnet and their competitive efficiency within ports, um, but we have managed to implement third-party access um, and introduce a policy for concession um, for branch freights and rail lines. Um, this is really important. However, there's a lot more work to, do, uh, to be done within the Transnet space and the port space and the freight space uh, so that we can generate a more efficient supply chain across South Africa in general. When we look at the, the water theme, there's been a lot of improvement on, on uh, water licensing and then also it's just improving the pricing of water and water standards as well. There is still a little, uh, there's still a little bit of work to be done with addressing inefficiencies in municipal water stations and access to water. 
So this is something that we can see maybe being addressed in this in the coming sonar. Just with linking the access theme and having a broader base access to uh, the entire population of South Africa with services, um, network and net broadband has also been something that has driven policy forward a lot. So um, the previous sonar has has really uh, they wanted to increase the availability of the, the digital spectrum, um, something that we have worked towards already has been to reduce data prices down and then also have a rapid deployment of electronic communication networks for the entire lower income part of the population to also be able to opt into telecommunications more. Uh, one okay. of the things that has been um, on uh, the agenda, and it, the, the paper is actually sitting on Cyril's desk right now, waiting to be signed, is the national health insurance. Now, obviously, this is a, a populist move. Um, I've spoken about it at length with various players in the market. Um, but that a lot of uh, us who are watching this are waiting for Cyril to actually sign this and announce that he has signed it so that it becomes law. And the reason why that is important, you know, from, from the perspective of us the onlookers and perhaps in opposition to this or have been opposing this for a very long time, um, is that only when Cyril actually promulgates it, actually signs it, can constitutional um uh representations being made in terms of you know this is breaching the constitution so until it is law you can't actually make those representations to the constitutional court do you think that cyril might use this opportunity to announce that he signed it i'm glad that you've uh brought up the topic of the of the nhi um because as much as i've just stipulated what has been said in previous sonars um, something that's very important to look at is everything that isn't said in previous sonar or in the sonar. Um, and NHI is one of those, and so is education. Um, I think I wouldn't imagine that he would say that he signed the NHI yet. Um, we've got to keep in mind that this is an election year. If he signs this and he doesn't get re-elected, it could look quite bad because the bill could get thrown out. Um, so that could mean a lot of turbulence within the political space. Um, and that wouldn't maybe look as good on his track record. Whereas if he signs it off post-elections, um, he'll be able to implement the bill properly um, and with credibility as well. Yeah, I, th I think, you know, looking forward to what's going to happen in the elections, you know, all, all we can really do is speculate from from here on out as to whether he's in fact going to be re-elected or not. Uh, you know, I, I make my feelings perfectly clear all the time is that I hope to goodness sake they don't get a majority and that they are forced into a significant coalition, but not if that coalition is going to be the EFF, uh, because that, quite frankly, for, from my perspective, is out of the frying pan into the fire, because the EFF, to all intents and purposes, will become the kingmaker and the um, he will force the implementation of the NHI, despite the fact there's not a single budget that has been published to, to address how this is going to be properly funded um, and how much more us taxpayers are going to, to be paying. 
And there's also acquisition without compensation, which is obviously, you know, one of the big rallying cries of the EFF and is not only constitutionally fraught, but from in terms of an international law, in terms of property rights is also very controversial, which is why probably Cyril has been playing, you know, slowly, slowly catchy on on that particular issue. Um, but I think, you know, all, all we can really do is 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 watch and wait and sort of wait for the signals. Uh, you know, from my perspective, I think this is just going to be more fluff and nonsense. Uh, quite frankly, nothing that Cyril has ever said in any of his sonos has ever really panned out. It's pie in the sky and wishes and hopes. And uh, I mean, it's just really at the end of the day, a almost a an election speech. You know, he's always speaking to the electorate and in the hope that they have forget forgotten that he, you know, he doesn't keep his promises very well. But anyway, it's been wonderful getting your point of view, Hannah. That was Hannah de Nobrega, economist and quantitative analyst at Prescient Investment Management, talking to us about the SONA, which is going to be a little bit later tonight, starting at 7 p.m. Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice and impact.